is uh, from Matthew. I read it a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're going to read it again and think a little further on it in our theme of praying for revival, and particularly as a church of praying, seeking God, crying out to Him, encountering Him, journeying with Him. And when you pray, says Jesus, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. How's the praying? A few nods, a few smiles. Oh, we're on that again, aren't we? Our sermons uh, and our themes are seeking to encourage us to be discipled and to be growing and to have as our heartbeat naturally to pray, naturally to be aware of the presence, the privilege, and the call of God upon us to encounter him. I uh, spoke a couple of weeks ago on this theme of prayer and developed a little bit of the first part of the passage of saying, when you pray, pray as you can, not as you can't. But I wanted to just focus a little bit on this prayer that Jesus gives in response to the question, teach us to pray. I wonder if we've been asking that, teachers, to pray, Jesus. None of us are perfect at this. Jesus himself, the fully amazing, alive human being, prayed. It's not something that we graduate from because we've become holy and good enough. It's something that actually characterizes the mature Christian, the dependent Christian, the young Christian. We never outgrow this, but it's something that we aspire to, we grow in, we develop, we learn about, we discover more and more of the riches of God and the depth of his love and his ways and purposes. He loves it. He really loves it as we, as we pray because it says in Moses, when he spent time with God dwelling, he spoke and spoke to Moses and told him about the things of God and the things of the kingdom. And Moses' face was radiant. That's our goal, to be like Jesus. Mature, dependent, fully fulfilled in the Father. Not so much the Lord's Prayer, but the disciples' prayer. Not the only thing that we can pray. Obviously, we can pray with many words, different words, in all sorts of ways. But there's something in this disciples' prayer, the prayer that Jesus gives that helps us, maybe inspires, refreshes our understanding. 
Our Father, that amazing approach, that privilege of an approach to, to God. Our Father. In a couple of weeks, I shall be uh, in India with the team. And at 5.30, I'll be woken up by the mosque across the road. And they'll be praying prayers to God. But it will start Allah Akbar. God is great. And that's, that's the way of addressing God. Kind of distant. God is great. God is transcendent. God is different. God is almighty. Yes to all those things. But the revelation, the wonder that Jesus brings us is, is not God is great. But our Father. That drawn into the God of the universe, the privilege of being adopted children, of being welcomed, of being family, of being with him, our Father. I love the way that that encapsulates that intimacy, that invitation, that privilege, that astonishing revelation out of all the faith in the world, Father, but maintains that sense of awe and reverence and respect. Our Father, the one in heavens, in the heavens. You know, when we pray that, as we pray, our Father, the one in the heavens, it reminds us and orientates us so importantly. A few thoughts on this little phrase, our Father, the one in the heavens. Sometimes we just need to, at the start of our praying, Maybe when you pray today, when you pray later or tomorrow morning or in mind, as you use this prayer, this disciples' prayer, as a prompt, our Father, that, rem that wonderful reminder, that, that call that you're welcome, that he longs to speak. Our Father in the heavens, that as we begin to pray, as we begin to seek God, as we begin to step out in the journey of faith in praying and, and growing that, that, that this very opening phrase helps us remind who we are, who he is, helps us rearrange, put into place, put back into perspective our life and our thinking. Firstly, to note, our Father, who the one in the heavens, is that we are not the center of our universe. You know that. But it's good to remember, we are not the center of our universe. God isn't at my beck and call. He's not the spiritual slot machine or the, the kind of the spiritual lottery ticket. That as we pray, we come to him, welcome to him, but he is the one in heaven. He is the one who is Lord of all. That we are his. He is the creator. We are his children. Secondly, that it warms up the heart. As we approach God in prayer, our Father, the one who is in the heavens, it warms up the heart. What do I mean? It means that as we approach God in prayer, we remember, we recall, reflect. Before we come to the things that are on our concerned heart and mind, give us this day our daily bread, our requests, our needs. That it reorientates ourselves and reminds us of who we are. It's a bit like having a, a bit of a, a pocket lighter. I don't smoke, 
do for God. No. Um, it's a bit like having a pocket lighter. As we start our prayer, it's like our Father, yeah, we're coming to pray. We take hold of the lighter, and the one who is in the heavens, it reminds us he's in heaven. It reminds us that I'm turning to the one who is at the center of the universe. It reminds me that he has all the power and the glory. Warms the heart, stirs the faith, begins to let that conception of God, who he is, who we are, fan into flame that praying. Practical ways we can do that are, are just to find some passages of scripture, some texts from the Psalms or some classic verses that remind us of who he is. Maybe, maybe make it in a prayer, just find on the internet or find at the back of your Bible or talk to someone or think about what are the names of God and what does that mean? Maybe think of those, some of those classic texts like Genesis 1, he's the creator. Or Genesis 15, when he gives the covenant to Abraham. Or Exodus 19, he's up the mountain saying, I'm forming a people and these are my ways. Or maybe it's some of the Psalms. We read some of them uh, this morning. Uh, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. A passage that we heard from Isaiah 55. We could read so many. Romans 8, Philippians 4. Take some scripture. And as you begin to pray, our Father, the one who is in the heavens, flesh that out with some words from the text that remind you, that warm the heart, that begin to ignite again that conception of who he is. And don't just read it quickly. Don't just pass over. Allow the truth, the revelation of who he is to stir in you. Maybe it's not your thing to, to do that. Maybe try it. Find out. But maybe it's to get your MP3 player and purposefully just choose some songs or your wireless or whatever you use, <coughs> your old-fashioned Walkman. But just choose a couple of songs that, that are, are kind of not just about me at this point in our praying, but about him. And use them to sing along with. If you're not into modern songs, there's some great, great hymns that we don't sing so much in the church, but you know them. And sometimes you say to me, we never sing those great old-fashioned hymns. And, and I know, but that doesn't stop you doing it. It doesn't stop you at the start of your prayer time choosing one of those classic crowning with many crowns. And work out what ineffably sublime means. The potentate of time. But you know, something like that sparks the flame. Because it's true. And in that process, it begins to orientate and help our praying. Our Father, the one who is in the heavens. What does that mean? It means he's the creator of all. Maybe it's, it's to take time and, and go on the website for the Northumbria community or go to a Christian bookshop and, uh, and, and find some, some words, some, some daily words that help. Maybe some prayers of Christian saints. 
that just help declare. You've run out of words. You've found you saying the same phrases again and again. And you're thinking, oh, it's just a bit dry and dusty. There's such a resource available for us. If you want some, I can suggest some to you. But, you know, of, of, of great prayers that men and women of God have written down for us for our illumination in order to spark that passion for God. Our Father, the one in heavens, to meditate deeply on those words, to absorb. And in doing so, begins that proper orientation before God. You know, when Jesus often prayed, he stood and looked up to the heavens. When he prayed. Time and time again in scripture, we find helps, prompts that help us to pray because it talks about our attitude, but also our posture. So when Jesus prayed, he stood and looked up to the heavens, orientating and saying, you're God, the one in heavens. Now, I know that classically in, in, uh, as a church, when we, we pray, we tend to adopt the shampoo position. That's fine. But it's not the only way you can pray. Maybe in your prayer times, as you begin, as you begin to pray, and, and our Father, the one in heavens, begin to think, what would that mean in my posture? Again and again, the scriptures say, in encountering God, in, in addressing God, in relating to God, people adopt different postures. You may want to stand. You may want to lift your hands. You may want to kneel. You may want to lie down. You may want to sit. You may want to dance. But it engages our very being, not just our intellect, our whole self before him. No one position is holy. But as we pray, our Father, the one who is in the heavens, begins to fix our mind on God and begins to orientate ourselves around him. Remember, the one in the heavens is, doesn't mean far away, distant, in some place that we can't travel to. But for Jesus and the New Testament writers, the heavens meant the Father who is always near us. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Our Father is always near us. The one who is in the heavens. And then Jesus goes on. It kind of gives five parts of teaching about prayer. It talks about the name of God to be regarded with respect and endearment, that his kingdom would be fully come on earth, that our needs would be met today, that our sins be forgiven and not held against us, and that we wouldn't be permitted to come at a trial or have bad things happen to us. What's the next little phrase? Our Father, the one who's in the heavens, hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? I was thinking about this. Hallowed is, is uh, if you read Harry Potter, the Deathly Hallows. That's where we've learned the word hallows. Or if we, uh, we get to October, we talk about Halloween. Mm, yeah, it's there, but I don't like the concept of Halloween. So hallowed is kind of slipped out of our vocabulary. But it basically means, it basically means to hold God's name in high regard. Hallowed be your name. To hold the name of God in high regard. The name is important. 
Our names are important. They carry so much. Just as by way of a little quiz for you, I came across some ways that names are used and they imply something behind it. So I'm going to ask you to fill in the name. So the two-word little phrases, I'll give you the first one as, a, as an example. If I said heel, you would say Achilles, okay? <laughs> what did you say? I didn't... Toe. I don't know anyone called Toe, do you? Achilles, you see Achilles heel. What does that mean? In terms of a person, okay, I mean, obviously it's a physical thing. But if, if you talk about Achilles heel, it actually means a person's weak spot. That the name has come to reflect something. So, apple. Adam's apple. What does that mean? Well, it's the bulge in our throat, isn't it? Signifies masculinity. If you want to know if, you're a, if someone's a man, look at the Adam's apple. Because women don't have a sticky out one. It's true. Everyone's a bit self-conscious about their necks now. Everyone's wearing a scarf. What about uh, mouse? Huh? Mickey. They're not hard, are they? But if we said something is Mickey Mouse, what do you mean? Something, if something is Mickey Mouse, it's, uh, it's something that's trivial or not very high standard, something like that. What about... <laughs> I don't know if I should tell you this one. Anyway, uh, what about touch? Midas touch. Someone's described as having the Midas touch. It comes back to uh, classic history. But everything that, you know, he was the man that he wished that everything that he would touch would turn to gold. And he thought that was brilliant until his wife turned to gold and all of his children and, and all that. He thought he was rich beyond his wildest dreams but had no relationships. But when you talk about someone with the Midas touch, they make a lot of money out of every scheme they try. What about the patience of... Job, patience of Job, requires something of the patience of Job, great patience. What about peeping? You all know that one. <laughs> someone who looks through someone else's windows without being seen in order to spy on them. The name begins to carry a meaning. That we use these phrases and it signals something. That when we talk about hallowed be your name, it comes with this sense of when we speak the name of God, when we begin to pray in the name of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're saying let your name be sanctified. In other words, to be holy, to be uniquely respected. So that as we're praying, we're not sort of thinking peeping Tom or patience of Job. We're thinking the name of God, that wonderful, most special, treasured and loved more than any other name, held absolutely uniquely in humanity. That's what it means. For there is no other name by which we're saved. There is no other name that is good. The name that is held in highest regard. 
Because as we pray that, we're beginning to pray and think, yeah, this is God. This is who I am. This is Him. And it begins to orientate the compass in our prayer life, the compass in our living and our behavior to say, this is true north. This is the one I serve. This is the name of honor. This is the name of glory that I'm talking to. And it begins to put us in the right direction. Failure to do that, failure to honor and hold particularly highly and uniquely and treasured and loved means that we will begin to find the wrong direction or to be disorientated or lost without our true north. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Father meaning Abba. I love Phil's story. He, he, he shared it before, but it's, it's a great, uh, great way of explaining this. That when he was in Israel on one of his visits, he was walking along a street in Jerusalem, I think it was, and he was just kind of looking and enjoying the experience. And all of a sudden, he suddenly heard, Abba, Abba, Father, Father. And he looked because he's, he knew his Bible. And he was thinking, someone's quoting scripture. But it wasn't. It was a little girl up some steps. And Abba, the dad, the father, was down the steps. And, and the little girl just launched herself off the steps, shouting, Abba. And thankfully, the dad's attention wasn't distracted somewhere else because as the girl lived, jumped, the arms of Abba embraced, caught. And Phil describes it in that moment, a beautiful picture of what it means as we address the one who is in the heavens, Abba, Father. That if the girl was jumping in any other direction, if her, she was disorientated or failed to look, cry out, She'd have been dropped. The name of beauty. Hallowed be his name. As we call to him. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Into every place where it is not. Now, God's kingdom is growing. God's kingdom and his reign and rule isn't kind of located just in certain patches and places. He rules all people in all places. This world and every galaxy. But when Jesus prays that, he's, he's signaling something that he's speaking of God's effective will. That which he wills to happen because so often we and our world are disobedient and rebellious and say no. Our way, not yours. As we begin to pray this, as we begin to cry out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that God's effective will will happen. Where? In the playgrounds. Where? In the office spaces. Where? In the streets. Where? In our communities. Where? In our hearts and lives. Where? In our churches sometimes. Where also in those places where dark deeds are celebrated. Where your kingdom come. Those who are trapped in habits and behaviors. Where your kingdom come. Into structures and powers and systems. That promote or support or exclude the will and reign and rule of God. Where your kingdom come. Every culture. Have you ever thought about what culture means? 
Someone described it as those culture is seen by what people do when they don't think about it. It's what we do unwittingly, unthinkingly. There's a culture in lifts. Did you know that? You get in and you turn around. And everyone faces the door. And we, for a moment, allow people to stand in our personal space without tutting at them. Prove to yourself, if you, next time you get in the lift, walk in and don't turn around. <laughs> you know, why, why turn around immediately? Turn around, you know, because it tells you what floor you're on, doesn't it? You know, he's now at floor three. That's your floor. You can turn around and get out. But you will freak people out in the lift. <laughs> You'll entertain yourself, I'm sure, but they might get out quicker as well. But uh, my point is being, we have a culture in lifts, and we do it unthinkingly. Bill Bryson, in Notes from a Little Island, has anyone read that? points out wonderfully about British culture. He describes things like Marmite and village fates and mustn't grumble and I'm terribly sorry, but. Or toast is a treat at any time of day. Someone described a typical Briton like this. Sometimes they're contradictory, but he, the, the writer said this is what describes often British people as a list of words. Shall I read them? The typical British Briton is introspective, patriotic, insular, xenophobic, brave, small-minded, polite, insecure, arrogant, a compulsive gambler, humorous, reserved, conservative, reticent, hypocritical, boring, a royalist, condescending, <laughs> depressed, a keen gardener, semi-literate, hard-working, unambitious, ironic, passionless, cosmopolitan, a whinger, Hard-headed, liberal, a traditionalist, a couch potato, a masochist, complacent, homely, pragmatic, cynical, decent, melancholic, a poor cook, pompous, eccentric, proud, self-deprecating, tolerant, inhibited, a shopaholic, conceited, courageous, idiosyncratic, mean, they don't tip well, courteous, stuffy, Overweight, well-mannered, pessimistic, disciplined, a habitual cure, modest, gloomy, shy, serious, and the list goes on. What am I trying to drive at? When we pray your kingdom come, we're beginning to pray the culture of God, the ways and the rule of God. Firstly, into us. Because like that list about being British, we're contradictory. Sometimes we stand with our arms in the air and sometimes our hearts and minds are far from him. Your kingdom come in me. That my culture, when I don't think about it, will be naturally your ways. What does that mean? The think of the Beatitudes that Jesus has just spoken of. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The more, those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Meek, they will inherit the earth, and so on. What does the kingdom come, the culture of a kingdom person, look like? The fruit of the spirit. 
That in every circumstance, without thinking, your nature and your action and your attitude is one of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and self-control. Your kingdom come in me. That's what we're praying. But we're also beginning to pray, your kingdom come in this world which is dark and hostile and hating and violent and unforgiving and intolerant and divisive. We're praying your kingdom come where there's hopelessness, hope. That is becoming more and more who we are. Without thinking, without having to, oh, I've got to do it this way. It's our culture. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I know I must hurry. It means, well, food is, is that basic stuff of life, the symbol of existence, of what we need. We like to think we're civilized in Britain, but they tell us we're three meals away from anarchy as a nation. Notice if you went to the supermarket after the dreadful storm warnings this week, you, could you find milk and bread? No, everyone had bought it up for panic buying. And you'd probably have seen a slight irritation in those who were left like me, not having been able to find any. But if I went back tomorrow and still couldn't, and the day after, there'd be a problem. Trying to say three meals away from society breakdown. If people have no food for a day or maybe at best two, there would be rioting. My point being... Our praying is saying it's about basic stuff. It's about our dependence upon God. It's about saying, Lord, what are my needs for today in the present, in the now? It's about saying, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Father, that your reign and rule is eternal. And I'm trusting you this day for my daily bread. Today, I have God. Tomorrow will be the same because his reign is eternal. And yet I trust today in the now. Imagine what it would be like at your mealtime, at Sunday lunch, and your children are there, and you're, you've served them your nice Sunday dinner. And as you're eating, you notice them take a baked potato off and pop it in their pocket. And then there's a little bit of chicken cut, and they pop it in the other pocket. You say, excuse me, little Johnny, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm putting it in my pocket because I don't know if you're going to feed me tomorrow. What does that say? That they couldn't trust their parent, particularly if they're small children. I must, and I will do it myself. Any little child no, doesn't really think about it. Thinks they get up, they get fed. Parents do that. They go without in order to feed. It's a statement of trust. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a statement of trust in him. It's not saying that we shouldn't plan for the future, not at all. But it's saying, where is our hope? Where is our orientation? Where is our focus? Where is our trust given? You heard Jesus say, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but in heaven. In other words, where is your security? Will we keep trusting God? Will we rely on him? Will we look to him? Will we recognize that all good things have come from him? Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. It's about living in mercy and grace. Someone said bitterness is the poison we swallow and the self-harm we inflict upon ourselves 
and we don't forgive. Someone asked me this week, how is it that you can, you can forgive someone? Why can't you just let it go? And part of my answer was saying, because we're living in the greater knowledge that he's forgiven me of everything. He told a parable and said, there's a, there's a king and he's got a subject and the subject's run up so many debts, it's just staggering. And the king forgives. But then he goes and meets someone else who owes him a small amount. And hardness of heart is evident. Forgiveness, we need to constantly remember. Constantly become before God in our praying. Recognizing his grace and his mercy. We've sung it, your grace is enough. More than I need. I need your mercy and grace. Your pity and life. And this world needs it. And as we pray that, as we work through this prayer, as we cry out to God, and as we allow his culture to become ours, we're saying, as I go through this day, when the person on the road cuts me up and someone jumps in the supermarket queue before me and I'm in a rush, and how dare they? And when your partner hurts you, and when your children, well, you, I could list and list and list, but you know what I mean. Forgiveness. It's not easy, but it's the kingdom way. How can I say it's not easy? Well, I've, I, I have to forgive myself regularly, forgive others regularly. But I remember the cost of God dying on a cross to forgive us. I know that it's the right way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Essentially what Jesus is saying, strengthen us that we may not buckle under pressure, that we may not fail and deliver us from evil for it's far too prevalent. I hope these things encourage you. I hope these things inspire you to perhaps find a fresh way of praying to revisit the disciples' prayer. To think on its meaning and begin to use it as a prompt to journey with God in your prayer life. Let's pray it together. Can we pop it back on the screen, Matt, of just um, the words that we're used to of the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Keep going through. This then, there we go. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you. And I prayed this earlier on, and I'll pray it again, just as a way of reframing that. If the band could come up and we could worship on the back of this. Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. 
Give us today the things we need today. And forgive us our sins and impositions on you. As we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. Please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything bad. Because you are the one in charge. And you have all the power and the glory too is all yours forever. Which is just the way we want it. Let's stand together.